This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Dirk Nowitzki, and you're listening to a MAPS Step Back podcast. TK. I like this, TK. I like that. Yeah, it's the Mavericks, all about action. Don't do no acting, no Samuel Jackson. Dirk get the ball, you know that it's magic. Post move deadly, yeah, get tragic. Look with the ball, yeah, get nasty. He'll drop 30, don't gotta ask him. Got Chris Stapps, coach at the Adam. I spaz like Dallas, said that I'm rapping, God. If Luca shoot the ball, you know that it's cash. But my boy still living the past. Now he got my boy Chris Stapps, looking like Dirk and Nash in the gap. They just wanna ring, wanna fill the gap. On your team head, I ain't talking hats. Dang, go relax, still at the champ. Defense still coming with the calibers. Man, I will never get tired of that intro. Courtesy of our guy Drew Pock at Drew32 all day on Twitter. He's got an EP out right now that has the original pre Porzingis trade intro on it. If you guys want one, shoot him a message on Twitter and he will hook you up. But anyway, welcome back to the Step Back, everybody. I'm your host, Dalton Trigg. I'm joined as always by my co host and DallasBasketball.com colleague, Matt Galatson. How you doing tonight, Matt? Pretty good, man. How are you? Doing great, doing great. We also got our guy uh, Nick Nepic from the Fan with us today, and we're gonna be, you know, diving into some March Madness talk and NBA draft talk a little bit later. How you doing, Nick? Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. We appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, before we, you know, get into all that stuff, obviously we've got to talk about the great Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, you know, he he just passed Wilt Chamberlain for sixth on the all-time scoring list. I mean, what else is there to even say at this point, you know, about all the accomplishments he has? And he, it just seems like he's breaking a record, at least two or three records, like every year at this point. Uh, let, let's hear what Dirk had to say about, about passing Wilt Chamberlain. Like I said, he dominated his era uh, like nobody else has dominated uh, in, in his era. So... Um, it was obviously a little bit before my time, but everybody knows knows about Wilt, what he's done, how athletic he was, how big he was, how high he could jump at that uh, that height he had, seven two or whatever. He's a, he's a still a freak of nature, and you know um, he was just unguardable in, in that era, and um, that's why he's up there. Uh, and only I don't know what he played 13, 14 years, and he's still up there with, with the best of many people would have played a couple more years. He would obviously. Uh, be number one or two, um, so that's that's how dominant he was. I think I came in at the right time. I think where where the game was changing a little bit. Um, you know, the game was changing. The league wanted a little more scoring. They wanted a little more movement. You know, in the 90s, there was a lot of weightlifting and the fours and fives, and there was a lot of hard fouling going on. And I think um, the league wanted to change and. I came in at the right time, you know. Um, they put in the back down rule. They put in the zone. Um, they, they, they just uh, basically forced uh, the teams to do a little more movement, more pick and roll. 
all the guys now can can shoot and spread the floor. And so it was it was just perfect for me for my for my skill set. Um, it was perfect for me to play obviously on Anelli my first couple of years. Um, you know, who, who was probably the only guy at the time who, uh, who wanted a seven footer dribbling up the ball and shoot. And, um, so I'm really thankful um, that I, I came into this situation this to the city and. Um, so I just, uh, for me, it couldn't have worked any better uh, that the spot to, to coach and, um, and and obviously the players that were here with Steve and Mike who supported me and, and lots more. So um, it just worked out well. And, and now basically anybody can shoot now. You know, all of, everybody comes in now, four and fives, bring the ball up, can shoot. And it's been been fun to watch the evolution, obviously, of the, of the league in the last 20 years. All right, well, uh, we'll start with you, Matt. What are your What are your initial reactions from Dirk passing Wilt the other night? Uh, it was pretty crazy. I was looking at Wilt Stam- Wilt Chamberlain's stats before the game started, um, just going through his career numbers on Basketball Reference, and it is one of the most insane statistical records I have ever seen in my entire life. There were seasons where he averaged 50 points and like 27 rebounds a game. It's crazy. And yeah, and had he had he played more than 14 seasons, this record would probably be untouchable. But um, and then the fact that you know a skinny German kid that <laughs> was you know just kind of lanky and you know not too impressive athletically was able to surpass a guy like that and be in the presence of names like you know. Kobe and Michael Jordan and LeBron and and all of those guys is is really is really something special. And when and when he passed the record in the arena, it was very um, it it wasn't quite the same as the thirty thousand point thing because if you guys remember in that game, he just went off in the first quarter and or in the first half. And this he only needed four points and he got it real quickly and efficiently and then it was over and they did a thing and it was great but just for him to be mentioned you know forever with names like that i think is something really special yeah and i you know i i was talking about this with you the other night uh in the press box i came i was in dallas uh for the mavs cavs game and you know it was looking pretty bleak there for a little bit and then he just turned it on in the second half and you know mainly in the fourth quarter and we were thinking man this is going to happen you know he only needed four points with a little over five minutes left and uh you know for whatever reasons probably fatigue he just couldn't get it but that would have in my opinion that would have you know been a little bit better of an atmosphere if he would have gotten in that in that game you know saturday night at american airlines center but uh, and then the way he got it, you know, it would have been similar to how he got 30,000 points, just a barrage um, to get it. But, I mean, it was still it was still special. I mean, he was going to get it, you know, regardless. And passing Wilt is passing Wilt. I don't care how you do it. That's, that's something, you know, that's special and we'll all remember forever. Nick, what, what's your thoughts on Dirk passing Wilt? Well, I think you guys, you know, you said it and you summed it up well. But one thing that stood out to me and maybe a little bit different than the 30,000 maybe I'm just misremembering it but it seems like because everyone is is assuming that this is Dirk's last season and you know we can go around and around and say that 
it might not be, or he hasn't said that, whatever, whatever. But, you know, especially nationally, Dirk has been a lot of the conversation at the All-Star game because of Doc Rivers. And so it seems like this accomplishment was much more, I don't know, nationally perceived or nationally recognized. And Dirk's greatness kind of stood out because people have been talking about him already. You know, the 30,000 points was a big deal, uh, but the Mavs were largely irrelevant. And, and now with Luka, he's kind of put them more on the on the national stage. Like, the, he's been a point of conversation, so therefore the Mavs have been a point of conversation. I don't know. Just to me, it felt more appreciated. Like Matt said, it wasn't as big of a deal in, in the arena. I wasn't there, but just watching it on TV. But nationally, it seems like people are really starting to appreciate Dirk more and more, something that he hasn't been throughout his career, in my opinion. So when he hit the, the milestone last night, very early in the game, it seems like, you know, all over Twitter and just today throughout the world, uh, people outside of DFW or outside of Mavs fans uh, really appreciated what Dirk has been and what he's accomplished and how big of an accomplishment, like you guys both said, that it was to pass well. It doesn't matter how you did it. It doesn't matter how many seasons it's been. Uh, if you're passing Will Chamberlain, you're one of the greatest of all time and you're doing something right. So, you, you know, you guys said a lot of it, but I think that's something that stood out to me. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's another thing that makes, you know, all of this so special towards the end of Dirk's career because, you know, there were times during his prime before he won the title that it just it didn't feel like the national media and that there was a lot of people that just didn't really give him the respect that, that he deserved even before he won that title. And, I mean, it, it's just it's really nice now, even though it is towards the end of his career, that it just seems like there's just a greater overall appreciation for Dirk and what he's been for so long and like you said I mean it's it's great to see that I mean we we've known forever what he is but it's good you know to have those other people that you know aren't even Mavs fans or don't even you know live in Dallas or in Texas or whatever uh, appreciate what this guy's done but talking about Dirk still uh, after his eight points in that last game He's now 868 points away from Michael Jordan. Uh, he, If he plays these last 12 games of this season, and if he does come back next year and played all 82 games, he would have to average 9.2 points per game uh, the last 12 of this season, all 82 next year, to pass Michael Jordan. So that's probably not happening. Like Matt and I have discussed this in the past, but... I mean, it's it's just it's fun to note that he's that close to Michael Jordan. Now, I'm not gonna doubt Dirk because during the All Star Weekend, you know, I I said there was no way he's gonna make it around the you know the full arc during that three point contest, and he did it with two seconds to spare. So anything's possible, guys. Matt, what what what, what do you think about Dirk taking a run at a at Michael Jordan. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think that it's a realistic goal. Um, playing all 82 games for him would be really difficult, um, especially, you know, nine points a game. He aver- He's averaging six right now, I think. Um, obviously, he hasn't played. He didn't play, what, the first 25 or so, something like that games. 
but you know it's it's something fun that he could he could attempt to chase if indeed he does come back um i don't know if playoffs count uh do they do they count do we know that no 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 they 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 don't okay so if they do count i i see this team as a playoff team with kp in it next year so that would give him a few extra games maybe to make up for if he didn't you know maybe play all 82 in the regular season but first we have to focus i think more on whether or not he's going to feel healthy enough to come back and i i actually have like i ha- i have sort of a good feeling about that better than i have uh, you know the last few weeks but uh, you know we'll get into that maybe a little later but um it's it's going to be really difficult to catch michael jordan and you know really i just i have a real hard time seeing it happening i don't know nick what you, you think there's like a little bit of dirk magic left if he stays healthy i mean nothing's impossible right and we can't ever rule anything out but i'm not i wouldn't ever bet any amount of money on it no matter how small <laughs> uh, but he, but he is dirk i mean he is a better human than any of us probably will ever be a better athlete than we ever thought he would be when he first came out. So, uh, nothing is impossible, but I, I, you know, it's fun to talk about, but I'm not going to spend time losing sleep over it. Like I have many other random sports, you know, hopes and things like that. Well, I, I understand that. And like I said, I mean, it's not, it's not something that I would bet money on either. But I mean, if he if he stays healthy, if he's feeling good, because I mean, this season he missed a lot of games. He was coming off that ankle surgery, you know. He he's been healthy for the most part this season, even though he said he you know there was some swelling there uh, at some point since he's come back. But he he feels good now, and I mean, I don't know. I, I wouldn't put it past him, but like you said, I wouldn't bet on it either. Uh, but okay we're gonna talk about this and then we'll you know we'll move on to uh some march madness talk and nba draft talk and all that but with dirk where are we at on our our dirk coming back for season number 22 confidence meter let's say let's say on a scale of one to ten matt where you at uh well our inside source, the elevator man at the American Airlines Center the other night, said it's a guarantee. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I'm not, I don't know. I, after after the last couple of weeks since the All-Star break, I would probably put it at like a 6 or a 7. And before the All-Star break, I was at about a 1. So, I think that's a pretty significant jump. I mean, we're with, we're getting into some Ben Rogers territory with all this percentages and confidence meter stuff, and I'm I'm not real I'm not real big on that stuff personally, but it's uh it's looking better than it did a few weeks ago at least. Well, and I, I know the the elevator man said that, but I don't think he can be trusted too much because he did say he was a born and raised Lakers fan too, so. Uh, or maybe he's the most ironclad source in all the American Airlines Center, Dalton. You don't know. <laughs> well, look. After he told me that, I, I you know I brushed it off and I was like, ah, he's he's the elevator guy. He doesn't know anything. Well, then, you know, the next day, that's when the Mavs, uh, or no, uh, yesterday. So two days after that game, the Mavs uh, put that cryptic tweet out there <laughs> with the 
the 41.21.1, and I was thinking, you know, if this is an announcement that he is coming back for next season, then I will have gained so much respect for that guy. But obviously, that's not what it turned out to be, and uh, we're, we're the, you know, the the jury's still out on Mr. Elevator Man. But anyway, uh, Nick, what if you had to? Where's your confidence meter on a scale of one to ten? Dirt coming back. Yeah, I think like Matt, before really the All-Star break and just sort of this recent stretch, I was very much that he wasn't going to come back. Uh, I just didn't think there, you know, I, I, Dirk has always said as long as he's healthy and he enjoys that he would keep playing. And he just didn't, one, look very healthy, and two, when you're not moving like you know you can and playing like you know you can, you're not enjoying it. So I, I just didn't think there was much of a chance. But recently I've started to change that. I would put myself right at a five, like one to ten, so right in the middle. And I think, if not to hijack the conversation here, but with you know KP and Luca, and if the Mavericks, you know, we'll talk potential NBA draft and, and lottery and all that. If they add just one other big name, whether it's through the luckiest lottery and draft of their life or in free agency, and become a real contender in the West, not just a playoff team, but a real, you know, we'll say top four contender because of what they have. And we won't know that until the season, but like preseason, it just on paper, they're a top four contender. I think that would bring Dirk back, and he would play a very limited role, maybe more like a, a coach on the bench, and he would give you a few minutes a night some spot-up shooting type thing. I think he would want to come back for one final run at the postseason. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of ifs there. So I would say I'm right at a five, right in the middle. It, it could happen, it couldn't happen. So, you know, I'll ride the fence on this one for now, but... I, I'm more confident than I was, you know, just a few weeks ago. Yeah, and I, I'm sure both of you guys will be extremely shocked by this, but I'm very optimistic on this. I, I think it, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's about a about a eight point five at this point for a lot of for, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. One, like I said, he he hasn't had any setbacks. You know, when he first came back this year and he played. Uh, some games here and there, you know, uh, he said that he was having some swelling issues. And, you know, we've been like three, four weeks now. There hasn't been any issues reported at all. And he's saying he's he's felt, you know, better than he has all year. Uh, you know, so that that's the first thing because he's, like Nick said, he's always said he's going to, you know, wait and see how his body feels during the summer before he makes that decision. But so that's the biggest thing. He feels good. Uh, as long as he doesn't have any more, you know, setbacks this year, uh, if they don't, you know, if, if something doesn't happen with that, that ankle he had surgery on, I think he'll ultimately decide to come back for that reason above all else. But then, like you said, if there's a shot at making the postseason one more time or, you know, you just got Christos Porzingis and, you know, uh, Tim McMahon reported – a few weeks back that, you know, uh, Porzingis was kind of behind the scenes uh, trying to get Dirk to come back and commit to, you know, coming back next year to play so they could play together. You know, there's there's stuff like that that I think could ultimately uh, persuade Dirk to come back too. So I don't know. I'm, I'm really optimistic about it. I think that 
uh, well, another reason I, I don't think he would really want to go into the Hall of Fame with Dwayne Wade either. <laughs> I mean, you know, Wade, he's had this this big uh, world tour type thing going this year, and I know the you know the national media has tried to force. Uh, Dirk and Wade going out together and uh, I mean that's just not how that's not how Dirk is so I mean like he said before you know people are giving him all these big ovations on the road and uh, they're showing him all this love and everything as if he's on on the way out but uh, they asked him well what if you come back next year and he was just like well we'll just have to do it all again (laughs) so I I think he's I think he's probably going to come back but well, I don't know how you guys feel about about this, but I think one thing that we're kind of underestimating here is like how competitive Dirk has been throughout his entire career and the fact that I don't really think he wants to end his career necessarily on a lottery team. I think he wants to have one more successful season under his belt. And what even if like like you said, Nick, with the being a top four contender or or, or whatever, I think He's just going to come back if he thinks they're going to be good enough to make the playoffs. Just because I think he wants one more winning, successful season where his team is competitive and you know he he gets his best chance to go out on top. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I could see that because I mean, I don't think Dirk anticipated missing as many games as he did early on this year. I think he, you know. It, it was an ankle surgery, but it, it wasn't believed to be that serious. And I think he was hoping, you know, to be ready by at least the first week of the season. And, you know, it turned into him missing around 25, 26 games. So, like you said, the, the competitive nature aspect of it, I, I think that plays a part too. And, uh, I mean, he's been breaking all these records and making history you know he's 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 number six on the all-time scoring list for the second time now uh, so if he comes back next year that would be another record because I believe he would be the only player in NBA history to have played 22 seasons all right well we're gonna move on from Dirk now we're gonna jump right into the the March Madness stuff it's here, it's upon us, and the NCAA tournament begins Thursday. Well, technically it, it, it began you know, right now with the play-in games uh, being underway, but the actual first round starts Thursday. Uh, what are some of the best potential matchups we could see? You know, it could either be first round or, you know, uh, a potential matchup later on in, in each region or something like that. Nick, we'll start with you. Uh, I don't want to take up the whole uh, hour here, but I am the bracket and March Madness is my favorite sporting event of the year, so I could go on and on. But I'll just pick a couple. Uh, as far as first round goes, and you, we had mentioned NBA draft. Uh, this one may be the most intriguing one-on-one matchup. It's Marquette and Murray State in the West region. That is a, a five-seed Marquette against the 12-seed Murray State. That is on Thursday afternoon at 4.30. So that will be... Uh, hopefully uh, just a phenomenal game, but really it'll be a great one-on-one matchup between John Morant, who is a all but locked to be a top five pick. And then Marcus Howard, who I picked to be preseason national player of the year. He hasn't been that, but he's been really good. Uh, He'll be a draftable type guy as well. So that's a really fun matchup. And then just to pick 
maybe one or two other ones. I really like uh, the potential matchup of Wofford and Kentucky in the Midwest region. So Kentucky is probably going to murder Abilene Christian, and then Wofford <laughs> hopefully will beat Seton Hall. And then that 7-2 matchup in the Midwest region in the second round, I think Wofford's pretty scary. I picked them to win that game and beat Kentucky uh, to move on to the Sweet 16. So I think that is another uh, really good one. And then just uh, a couple of upsets, why not, in the uh, other two regions. In the South region, UC Irvine over Kansas State, that's a 13 over a 4. I think that's a pretty – not a safe bet, but a, an easy upset pick. If you're going to pick an upset, Kansas State will be probably without Dean Wade in that game. And then in the East region, I'm going to pick Yale. That's a 14 seed to beat LSU, the three seed LSU without their head coach. Wow. They're, they're right with Scandal, and uh, Nazri didn't play in the SEC tournament, at least in the latter portion. So those are my – I just picked one from each region. I didn't ask that question, but – uh, since I, I like so many of the games, I just went through and picked one from each. But uh, those are the the four in the East, West, South, and Midwest that I really like, one of those being the potential matchup of Wofford and Kentucky. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, you mentioned the Marquette-Murray State game. I did, you know, I, I saw something the other day, Howard and uh, – is it Morant? Is that how you say it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Howard and Morant, they're the top two leading scorers in this tournament, correct? I believe that is correct. Yeah, so that that has some really really good potential for that one, uh, Matt. What what games are you looking forward to? Well, obviously, I'm going to be very uh, very keen to watch my Rebels, uh, Ole Miss Rebels, take on Oklahoma. Um, I haven't watched a single Ole Miss game all season because I've been so locked into uh, – I cover SMU, obviously, for 24-7 sports as well, so I've been so locked into that that I haven't really had a, a lot of chance to watch uh, a bunch of college basketball. And But Ole Miss, you know, our new coach, Kermit Davis, it's his first year as the head coach, and he's gotten us into the tournament um, after a lot of years of frustration. And he's done it with, with a team that I know, you know, after watching in the last couple years is – isn't the most talented team they've ever had at Ole Miss. It's a lot of guys that work hard, and they're they're just a real good unit, a good team. Um, I know that sounds really cliche, but it's true. Uh, Kermit has them playing really good basketball right now. So I'm interested to watch that. Um, another game that I have my eye on is in the Midwest region. It's uh, Utah State and Washington because uh, Dalton and I sort of have our pet in the second round, Matisse Tybel. For Washington, I really want to see what he looks like um, in the tournament. Haven't gotten a, gotten a lot of a chance to to watch him, so I'm interested to see what he does. And um, like Nick, I'm also real interested to see Marquette Murray State and see some more of John ja Morant. But another uh, another matchup that I really a team that I want to watch in the first round is Texas Tech because I keep hearing a lot about Jarrett Culver. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to expect. I've heard some pretty, pretty radical things about this guy. So he should be fun to watch. And um, as far as maybe a uh, like a, a later in the tournament matchup that's possible, um, back to the Midwest region. I think Auburn and the potential of them matching up against uh, Kansas or North Carolina should be really interesting. Auburn has a lot of talented players and they've got a, you know, they've got Bruce Pearl as the head coach and 
from what I've from what I understand, Auburn's a very dangerous team. And, um, you know, I've watched North Carolina a couple times, and I'd like to see them match up with North Carolina. I think that one would be fun. But also, one other thing, and I know I'm, I'm taking up a little too much time here. but No, you're uh, good. I, I would watch out for – I've watched a lot of AAC basketball this year um, because of SMU. And, I mean, SMU was dreadful. Don't get me wrong. But I got to see some actual good teams play from time to time. And uh, Cincinnati – and Houston are both extremely talented, and they're they're both they're both real dangerous. Um, so I w- I would watch out for them in that Midwest region as well. The Midwest looks like a really uh, really tough region. Well, obviously, I'm gonna I mean I'm gonna be watching Duke and and North Carolina, and you know those teams. Even though it's not gonna you know it's probably not gonna be much of a game there, but I, I will be interested in. Uh, checking those teams out uh one matchup that that kind of uh intrigues me is purdue versus old dominion uh you know because <clears throat> i'm a southern miss guy and you know obviously they didn't make the make the tournament this year but old dominions uh, from conference usa and i mean they're they're a pretty good basketball team and i think that could be a potential you know 14 uh, 14 seed winning over the three seed in the first round so uh, i'm putting purdue on upset alert on that one uh that's just that's just my feeling on it but uh other than that i really don't have a specific matchup that uh that i'm really intrigued in in the first round now you know when you get into the second third round stuff like that i see potential matchups that that intrigue me like uh you know Duke potentially matching up with uh, either LSU or, or Michigan later on, even though, you know, Nick thinks LSU's on upset alert against Yale. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, I don't know, <clears throat> just on a lighter note here, I don't know if you guys follow David Gardner on Twitter or not, but, you know, Tennessee's playing Colgate in the first round and uh, – <laughs> <laughs> he tweeted out Tennessee versus toothpaste. Historically, a tough matchup. <laughs> and the funniest part of it, the funniest part of it was, you know, this guy with a Alabama logo, you know, for his uh, his Twitter picture, you know, commented underneath it and was like laughing really hard at it. And I was just thinking, like, oh, <laughs> may want to sit this one out. But that that's that's one matchup that that caught my eye just from a humor standpoint. But as far as as far as like a do we want to go final four predictions here or have you have you guys filled out a bracket or, or are we there yet? I uh, filled one out today actually. So uh, if y'all want to go there, I, I can pull mine up and we can we can see what we have. Yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. Let's I'm do it. Mine is. I wouldn't say boring, but somewhat I have, and I'm a self-proclaimed Duke fan, if, if no one knew that. I did not go to Duke. I've never been to Duke, but I've loved them since I was a kid, so I am a Duke fan. I have them in the Final Four out of the East. In the uh, West or the bottom left portion of your bracket, I have Michigan State. I'm a big fan of Cassius Winston, Tom Izzo as well, Michigan State. They had a lot of injuries, but they kind of just have overcome it. They beat Michigan three times. Or, excuse me, I don't have Michigan State. I have Duke beating Michigan State in the Elite Eight. Sorry about 
that. I have Gonzaga and Duke uh, in the Final Four. Gonzaga out of the West. Uh, Mark Few is an awesome coach. Gonzaga has a lottery pick in Rui Hachimura. They just always win games, and people never see them because they play in a small conference on the West Coast. So I have Duke Gonzaga on one side or the left side. On the right side, I have North Carolina and Virginia. Virginia out of the South, North Carolina out of the Midwest. And then I have Duke and Virginia in the final. Virginia beating Duke in the national championship game. I think it's really hard to beat a team three times in a season. Duke's already beat them twice, especially a team like Virginia that prides themselves on low-scoring defense and not making mistakes. Uh, Both of those games have been really close. So I have Virginia winning the, uh, we'll say the, I guess not the rematch, but just the third of three meetings uh, between Duke and Virginia. Matt, before before you name yours off, I, I have to ask Nick, Though I'll be honest with you, I I did not watch a lot of college basketball this year. So when you say that you know Duke's beat Virginia twice in two close games, did Zion, were those both games that Zion Williamson played in? Yes, uh, Duke only lost one game with Zion this season, and that was against Gonzaga on a neutral floor. That was late November. It was one of those early season tournaments. I I want to say it was the Maui Invitational. In fact, it was the Maui Invitational. They lost that game uh, in the last seconds. R.J. Barrett missed a shot uh, essentially as the buzzer sounded to lose that game. Uh, but that was the only game they lost with Zion. Okay. Yeah, that, that's what I was wondering because I, I was thinking, well, if, if Zion was out when when those close games occurred, it, it might be a different story when they get to the Final Four, uh, I mean the, the championship game. But, Matt, let's let's go with you. Who do you have going to the Final Four and, you know, eventually being the champion? All right, so uh, I've got Duke because I think that if you bet against Zion Williamson in any form or fashion, you are um, going to be sorry about it. So I've got him in the final four with Duke. I've got Gonzaga. Um, and uh, I honestly, I, I haven't watched a lot of Gonzaga, but from, from what I've read and from what I've seen, um, you know, as, as Nick said before, they're supposed to be a very, very good team. And Mark Few's been there for a long time, and he's had that program at the top for a while. So um, I have them in there. And then I have I also have North Carolina. Um, the fact that they beat Duke twice um, is very impressive. Even though it was without Zion, they still have you know a lot of NBA guys on that roster outside of Zion. So the fact that North Carolina was was able to do that is pretty impressive in my book. Um, and then the other team I have is Tennessee. Uh, one, because uh, they have a guy on their team named Admiral Schofield, which I think is the coolest name in like the history of college basketball. Um, and, the other, and the other thing is they have Grant Williams, who's uh, one of the top NBA draft prospects as well. And I, I think uh, Rick Barnes is a, is, a, is a very good coach. He kind of uh, he crashed and burned towards the end there in, in, at Texas. I think he just kind of outstayed. You know, his welcome there a little, you know, he just, I guess, I don't know if he became complacent or what happened, but once he got to Tennessee, he turned things, he, was, he almost seemed refreshed and he turned things around pretty quickly. Um, so I think that, and they were ranked number one for a little bit, uh, for a while this year, if I'm not mistaken. Isn't that right? Yeah, so I, I think they're a real talented team as well. Um, so that, that's my four. And then 
I have uh, I have Duke beating Tennessee in the final because again um, Zion. So, uh, what about you, Dalton? Well, I I haven't, and I guess this would be a good time to to kind of plug this, but we've got a, a ESPN Tourney Challenge bracket group uh, called MFFL Twitter. Uh, so if if you guys listening, if you wanna if you wanna join and you know uh, put a bracket in there, it, it it limits you to just one bracket, and there's no prize or anything, just bragging rights, just something fun we're doing. But again, it, it's MFFL Twitter on the ESPN Tourney Challenge uh, bracket group. Uh, but I haven't filled out my bracket on on there yet. I I do have one that I've filled out. <clears throat> You know, for a thing I'm doing with with a couple of uh, a couple of friends over here, uh, I've got Duke playing Texas Tech, and I've got Duke beating Texas Tech. Now, I I don't know how you guys feel about Texas Tech, but like I said, I, <laughs> I this is completely gut feel. I know nothing about Texas Tech. I do know about Duke. I've watched them two or three times this year, and they've looked amazing. And then. I've got Kansas playing Villanova and taking out Villanova, and then I have Duke uh, and Zion winning over Kansas in the national championship game in a close game. So that's where I'm at. Again, I haven't. Uh, that's the only bracket I've filled out, and it was mainly just off of gut feel. But there's not. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I didn't put near as much thought into it as Nick as Nick did. <laughs> so. I mean, now, I, I get kind of crazy. I, I like to pick fun matchups and, and what I would like to see. Not always what I think will happen, but one thing, I also don't, uh, I don't look at my bracket after, like, once the tournament starts, I put my bracket away and I, I don't look at it again until it's over. That way, I, like, I don't obsess over, oh, did I get these picks right or all that. That's also why I don't uh, pick a bracket for money. So, I just want to enjoy the tournament, but yeah, I I definitely put a little bit of thought into it, especially my upsets, and they're almost always wrong. So uh, just be, be aware of that. Yeah, I mean, I I understand that. I, every year I say, well, I'm I'm not going to get real into it. I may fill out a bracket or whatever, and then next thing you know, I'm watching the the first round, the second round, and I I can't help it. I keep up with every single pick that I make. So I try not to fill out, you know, maybe. I might make three brackets in, you know, three different places, but uh, I try not to go over that because I'll drive myself nuts. But uh, So we've got, we've kind of touched on the tournament a little bit, and like I said, first round starts Thursday, and uh, there's no going back at that point. Uh, as far as just watching from a player's standpoint, and let's just, you know, for fun, let's just say the Mavs end up getting – their top five pick and they don't have to convey it to Atlanta. Who are some players that we really need to watch? I mean, Nick, obviously the one I'm going to ask you about uh, is Zion Williamson. We've talked about him a little bit already, but, and I mean, I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to have to say about him, but I mean, just how dominant of a player is this? Like, is he, is he the most surefire number one pick we've seen in like the last 20 years or so, if if not ever? I think it's 
since Anthony Davis. Like when Anthony Davis was at Kentucky, he was for sure uh, the best player. It wasn't close. And I think Zion is the most sure thing since Anthony Davis. And, you know, there are a, a bunch of people, I don't want maybe not a bunch, especially as the season's gone on, I think people have really bought into Zion. But there are still people that say, well, like, what else can he do besides be super athletic and dunk? And I tell them, have you ever watched him rebound or pass or just his ability to, like, his basketball IQ? And, you know, Luca, that was one of the things that people raved about before he came over to the NBA. And that has translated, you know, beautifully to the Mavericks. And so Zion does a lot of things well that people, the casual fan might not realize because all they watch are the highlights and his dunks are awesome and his ability to block shots because he can jump out of the building is awesome but he's a really smart basketball player he's a good defender too even though he's only you know what six seven right. i think we're calling him who knows what he measures at so uh, i i love zion not only because i'm a duke fan but because i i just love watching prospects i think he's phenomenal i think he will be phenomenal especially in a place like Dallas where he doesn't have to be the automatic savior. He's just like extra icing on the cake because you've already got Luca and you've already got uh, KP who's proved that he could do it in the league. Zion could just be third fiddle to those guys. And I think he would be even better. And I know the Mavericks need shooting, but talk about mismatched nightmares all over the floor. If you put those three guys in a starting lineup. And then you can kind of just plug in okay shooters around them. Maybe like a Tim Hardaway Jr. I don't know. Just somebody like that who like can shoot and certainly will shoot but isn't necessarily a knockdown shooter all the time. It wouldn't even really matter because you've got three guys that can really just go get theirs at any time and you can find a mismatch almost anywhere on the floor. Uh, so Zion is obviously phenomenal. He would be the easy choice at number one and some people maybe a couple of people would say they'd rather have rj barrett i don't know how you can watch both players and think that personally i think barrett is a good player i think he'll be a good nba player but to me zion is the the easy choice and if you are a Mavs fan hoping for a lottery pick first of all you should hope for the number one pick because i think that's i mean obviously it's the best one but it's the one that will help you the most thinking you're like being a playoff team and, and that would be right. Zion. So I know that's a, a long-winded answer for maybe a short question, but yeah, Zion to me is a sure thing and he would be truly phenomenal anywhere, but especially in a place like Dallas where they kind of already got a foundation. Right. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, uh, I do think he's the, the surefire number one pick. I think, just thinking about Zion and Luca playing with each other. Like, I, I mean, I know Kristaps Porzingis is there too, but I mean, I haven't even allowed myself to go that far yet. I'm just thinking Zion and Luca together and how good that combination would be. And then you throw Porzingis into the mix too, and it's just like, man, <laughs> you want to talk, you know, there's been buzz about the Mavs being a, a really attractive free agent. Uh, destination this summer I mean if they luck up and get Zion Williamson that that just increases your chances of you know adding another superstar player with that 30 million in cap space they're set to have but uh, Matt I I think you were wanting to kind of ask some questions about the the two through five slots is that right 
Yeah, well, first of all, there's one thing I want to say about Zion. and I said it right before you got on the phone with us, Nick. And I was looking at Zion's per 100 possessions and per 40 minute stats and his advanced <laughs> stats. I have never seen anything like this in my entire life. This is absolutely insane. Yeah. <laughs> like, per 100 possessions, he averages 41.3 points, 16.7 rebounds. <laughs> you know, it 3.3 blocks, 134.9 offensive rating. I mean, it's just astronomical. Um, but so like we all we all know what he is. Just even if you haven't watched him really in a full game this year, just the amount of coverage and all of that that you're getting is is enough to know like okay, you know this guy is the favorite. So everybody has an idea at least of what Zion is. What we are a lot less certain of is Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett. And I know you're, like you said, you're a big Duke guy. You've probably watched these guys more than anybody. Which of those two guys do you think is the better NBA prospect? And which do you think is a better fit for the Mavericks? Because from where I sit, it I kind of lean towards Reddish just because of what he does well or has the potential to do well in the NBA as opposed to... to to Barrett's skill set, but um, is I, I'm really interested to get your take on this because I think it's an interesting debate. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and obviously we're talking in context and through the lens of the Mavs, and I think that's what makes it a really interesting debate because when you look at R.J. Barrett, like clearly at least in college he's been the better player. Cam Reddish has had some good moments, but he's had a really tough time, and you know there's all kinds of reasons for that. The role that Coach K has put him in being the third best player on a team where he's used to always being the best player, never really handling the ball when he did that a lot at the AAU level. Like, there's a lot of reasons for it, but you can't deny that he's had a tough time, and he's sort of in the role that the Mavericks would want him in, I would think, and that's shooting the ball, being a maybe second or third option as a playmaker, like being good in moments, but you're not the guy. You're not even the second guy. So... While I really do think he's got some projectable tools and I think he can be a really good player, I would have some pause when it came to the Mavericks uh, when it comes to Cam Reddish. Now, R.J. Barrett, there's some pause there as well because he is a ball-dominant, you know, shoot-first kind of player. He's going to attack contact. He's going to try to get shots up. He's going to take a lot of shots. And I don't know if, if you want that with with Luca out there, you want him to be your ball handler. Do you want another, we'll not say this, but for lack of a better term, uh, another Dennis Smith Jr. type situation where a guy who they try to move off the ball and like, yeah, he can be good there, but is he really happy there? It might be different with a rookie, but the same idea. So I think it'd be really tough if you were going to take one of those two. And honestly, I don't know who I would take. If the, like, if the Mavericks don't convey their pick, it could be anywhere from, from one to four. It's, it's mathematically impossible for them to get the fifth pick, is it not? Right, yeah. They, they're, if they finish with, uh, well, really anywhere, if, if, if they jump into the top four, that's, that's all they can do, you know. Uh, so, I mean, if you're number two, part of me wants to say maybe try to trade that pick. Because I don't love either two of those players, or John Morant for that matter. John Morant is awesome, but he is a ball-dominant guy who doesn't really shoot that well. So 
you know, we talked so much once the Mavericks drafted Luca. Can the two players, he and Dennis Smith, fit together? And I was all for it because I saw Luca play off the ball, in, you know, for Slovenia. And I thought they would kind of try to do that. Like, okay, let's let Dennis handle the ball when they're both on the floor, and we'll kind of do the Rockets thing where they stagger their you know minutes. And it just never really worked out. And now that we've seen Luca be the primary creator for this team for most of the year, they're not going to change that, and nor should they. So, you know, I, I would be in a really tough spot if they ended up in the lottery keeping their pick but weren't number one and had to make a decision. Do we trade the pick or do we take R.J. Barrett? Do we take Cam Reddish? I think if you put, you know, put, ha- I have to make a decision. My life depends on it. I'm probably taking R.J. Barrett because he's proven it at the college level. And I, I just hope for the best and hope that he can – develop more of a shot and that he can kind of mesh his way in and maybe he does because he's a rookie and he just falls in line but he's always been the best player everywhere he's gone whether it's Canada or college or wherever and even though Zion is sort of the best player at Duke RJ is averaging more points he is in every you know player of the year conversation even though Zion I think is a, a lock to be the national player of the year like he's still there so I'd probably take RJ, but it, it's an interesting debate. I think if Cam Reddish had just been a little bit better at Duke, then I would lean his way. But he's just had some really, really tough moments and never really found his groove, and so that makes me shy away from him. Yeah, Matt and I have we've had this conversation, you know, off the show, just you know, just texting back and forth, and even the other day uh, at the Mavs-Cavs game. But if they end up keeping their picks or say it's and, and it's not the number one pick it's either two three or four I'm I'm with you I think they they would probably try to move that pick because you know you've got Zion he's so far up you know the runaway prospect in this draft and in, in my opinion at least but and then it, it just kind of drops off and that's not to say that these guys aren't going to be good NBA players but you know the Mavs; they want to win now. The you know you got Luca; he's he's shown that he can, you know, be the guy from the jump. You know he's not gonna; he is who he is. I mean, he's still gonna get better once he gets in the weight room and, uh, you know, gets his NBA body to go along with his already refined skills and all that. But, uh, you know, he's he's ready to win now. Porzingis is ready to win now, in my opinion if he can stay healthy. So I think they would try to trade that pick. And I, like me and Matt were talking about, kind of hope that if they did get two through four, they could get in on maybe like a a Bradley Beal type of type of trade. I know that's still, uh, you know, kind of pipe dreaming there a little bit. But, you know, when you have a pick, let's say they get number two, the number two pick, maybe that's, you know, enough to – Get your foot in the door, but Matt, what do you think? Well, I, I like that idea. At first, I, I think you know when we first um, when it was first brought up that the idea that they might trade that pick, that people were talking about it and, and um, going back and forth, just out of out of habit, I thought it just sounded dumb because it's it's a top four pick in the NBA draft. Like, who's you know how often do you see teams really? move aggressively to trade that. But then when you look deeper and, you know, you, you think about what the Mavs are trying to do right now and 
and all that, it, it begins to make a lot more sense. And I think that if they – to get in the door with a guy like Beal, you almost have to – it almost has to be the number two pick. Um, it could be three because it, you, you also have to think about what Washington – what their frame of mind is right now. Are, are they rebuilding or are they waiting for John Wall to come back? And do they, even though they're not, you know, at the level that they need to be, maybe they think they are to, to make another push in the East. You know, it, you have to kind of gauge their mindset and see right. if they're willing to part with any, any pieces. Um, you know, and when you think about that, it, it, it makes things a little bit more difficult. Obviously Beal is a pipe dream. Um, but, I don't know. I mean, if they really do want to win now and they and they really are in that frame of mind going into next season, and I know Rick Carlisle and Mark Cuban are so done with tanking that, like, it hurts. <laughs> so that has to be how they're feeling going forward. And if that's the case, then it's almost a guarantee in my mind that they're going to trade that pick if it's two through four. Yeah, and I just want to, I want to touch on this, and we're getting pretty close to wrapping this up here, but – uh Matt you mentioned that you know you were I think you said you were intrigued by uh Jarrett Culver or at least you you know you'd heard some stuff about him I read a I read the Ringers uh big board the other day and when I when I was reading that it said something about they they don't think that he's done growing or like that he's been growing throughout the season now they've got him listed at like six six, one hundred ninety five pounds, and his per thirty six minute stats are twenty one point seven rebounds, four assists, and almost two steals. Uh, but Nick, I just wanted to get your your insight on Culver. Uh, what what kind of player do you think he could become? Is he a player that you know that could potentially contribute right away, or is he more of like a like a long term project? Yeah, you know, I watched Culver, I think the first time, well, the first time I saw him in person, I watched Tech at TCU last season because I wanted to see Keenan Evans in person, and Culver hit like four threes that game, and he has a less of it now, but had a really weird hitch in his shot at, at that point. And I thought, man, if, if this guy can really shoot, like maybe he could be something. And, and this year he's sort of taken a step up. Like he, he looks like he looks kind of taller, like you're talking about the ringer said. He, he looks a little bit longer. And I wonder if his body will keep transforming. Like he'll get a little bit taller. Maybe he'll get a little bit thicker, like stronger. And it, if that's the case, it'll just make him better. But one thing that he's had to do uh, for Texas Tech this year, especially at the beginning of the year, is really be their only offense. I mean, they had nothing when Culver wasn't scoring at the beginning of the year. It was all defense and like, all right, maybe some transition buckets and like, let's hope that uh, Jarrett Culver is going to get going because we got nothing else behind him. And it's it's evened out as it usually does. But his uh, his per forty stats are good. He shot pretty well. He's not a super consistent jump shooter. But I think if he can be good enough, then he can really uh, find a place. You know, shooting always finds a place in the NBA. It's something that he's had to do at Texas Tech, but credit to Chris Beard, you've got to play defense if you're going to play there. And so the buzzword or buzz term in the NBA and the NBA draft is like 
three uh, and D. Like who could be the next three and D guy? I know in the second round, some Mavericks fans, myself included, last year wanted them to find somebody like that, uh, hoping if Dorian Finney-Smith couldn't be that guy. Uh, just you're always trying to fill roles, especially on good teams. You, you know, you need guys. You need your Kevin Durant's and your Clay Thompsons and your Steph Curry's or your James Harden's and your Chris Paul's, but you also need guys that fill roles, that rebound or that shoot and play defense. And so Culver, you know, in a best-case scenario, could be a a deadly three-point shooter and a defender. Now, he's not a deadly three-point shooter now, but maybe he becomes that. I I think the, the way he's played at Tech really benefits him this year. His numbers are better. And the the ability and the want to to play defense will go a long way with NBA people. Uh, Nick, another guy that I've been curious about, and we can do this one, you know, uh, a little a little quickly if if you don't want to spend too much time because he's a little bit farther down the board um, as far as the top guys go, but he's he's still in a lot of people's top five, and that's DeAndre Hunter out of Virginia. Obviously, Virginia has been a, a very impressive team this year, and I just wanted to get your take on on DeAndre and, and if you think he is a good fit with the Mavericks and how he projects in the NBA. Yeah, I think he projects really well. He got hurt, I, I think it was a shoulder or something. He missed the NCAA tournament last year, and I, I want to say that's part of the reason he decided to come back to school because he's 21. Uh, but, you know, 6'7", 200-plus pounds, he has good physical tools and he's a good athlete and Virginia the way they play just kind of hides that from some players just because of the slow style they play but uh, he's got really good shooting ability uh, again could be a 3 and D guy but I think he's more than that uh, I think he's got enough athleticism he's shown the ability uh, to get his own shot which you know you need creators in the NBA and, and something I didn't mention about Culver that he can do that Hunter does as well, he's a multi-positional defender. In this era of the NBA where switching is everything, uh, that stands out. So Culver can do that as well, I didn't mention that. But DeAndre Hunter, uh, it stands out a, a lot that he can he can switch defensively, he can spot up and shoot, or he can create his own shot. I think Hunter has a chance to be a top five pick because this is a weaker draft, uh, but yeah, maybe he's like seven, you know, around seven, something like that. And if, you know, I know the Mavericks can't pick five, but if they were picking five, I would certainly vouch for DeAndre Hunter. You know, thinking back to last year's draft, Wendell Carter is somebody that they really, really liked. And I loved Wendell Carter, and I was not opposed to them taking him with the number five overall pick, even though it felt a little rich. And Hunter would kind of be that way. And I know they can't pick five, but if they end up two or three, it's sort of, I I just think that's a little rich for DeAndre Hunter, but I do really like him as a player. I think he could fit almost anywhere. Really, really good stuff there. And, you know, we'll we'll be paying close attention to these guys uh, throughout the NCAA tournament and, uh, depending on how things fall for the Mavs on on May fourteenth, when the the draft lottery gets underway, you know we'll either we'll either stop paying <laughs> as much attention, you know, to what's going to happen on draft night, or or we'll be even more uh, zoomed in on that if they do indeed get lucky, uh, which would be the first time in franchise history they've never once moved up. They've either stayed where they're at or they've moved down. So. Uh, well, Nick, we really appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, it's been fun 
a lot of great insight on a you know a lot of really good collegiate players and um we appreciate you coming on and we'll have to do it do it again sometime man absolutely guys thanks for having me and uh i just have a feeling this year the uh, the maps finally get lucky but we'll see i do too man i have that same feeling well we appreciate it and we'll talk to you later thanks again man of course guys anytime all right guys that does it for another episode of the step back we appreciate you all from for coming in and listening every week like you do uh, it's just been a it's been a great uh, year for us so far you know we started this podcast and it's just consistently grown every single week and uh, we appreciate it we uh, if, if you will you know make sure to like rate and subscribe uh, if you feel like leaving us a review if you do that on Apple podcasts that really helps us out um, Matt you got anything else uh, not a whole lot. We just got a lot of good stuff out on dialedbasketball.com uh, right now. Um, I, I, uh, I recap Dirk's, uh, game against New Orleans where he passed, passed, uh, Wilt Chamberlain. Um, you've got a story out about how he believes they're actually a better basketball team than they were, uh, before the trade with, uh, for Porzingis, which I know made you real happy. Um, and then I, I know uh, I think you've also got a one-on-one with Justin Jackson coming out pretty soon here, so everyone needs to keep an eye out for that. And um, other than that, not a whole lot. I mean, we're we're just working to bring you some really good content, so stay tuned in to, to DallasBasketball.com, and we'll bring you some, some good stuff. Yep, yep, a lot of great stuff to come. Again, we'd like to thank Nick Nepic for coming on with us tonight, talking about uh, Dirk passing Wilt and you know a lot of different draft guys but we're going to have a lot of great guests uh, coming on here in the near future so stay tuned to that as well thanks again for listening guys have a great week we'll see you next week Only the real gon' float, man, for real. You either sink or you float. Only the real gon' float. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.